Hi, college football fans. This is Alex. Uh, I just wanted to preface this podcast uh, by saying that uh, we encountered a small technical issue uh, after recording. Um, I didn't hear it in the mix as we were recording, but after the fact, it appears that there was a uh, some sort of crackle in my uh, mic line. So periodically throughout the episode, mostly near the beginning, uh, you'll hear some crackles and uh, in my audio, uh, we apologize for this uh, technical oversight, and we're going to fix it for next time. I went through and removed all of the ones that I could, but some are still there. So once again, I'd like to apologize uh, for those mistakes, but the majority of the podcast sounds perfectly fine, so I hope you enjoy it. Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 41 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hi there, fans and Husker fans. <laughs> yes, we're welcome to Husker fans as well as fans of college football in general. Yeah, we are That's right. Open podcast here. All right. Uh, and yes, uh, we here are uh, College Football Throwdown. We are a father-son duo podcast, uh, college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. And as I said, this is our 41st episode, our episode for uh, March, although we're technically recording it in beginning of April, but shh, you don't need to, don't need to think about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll uh, I mean, we've been doing these monthly as we're kind of in the off season, uh, and we'll... Uh, get back up to speed once the season begins in earnest but i definitely think we'll do another podcast probably uh in the later part in of april. april after uh uh the spring game for nebraska for sure exactly exactly yeah all right so yeah to start with we're gonna dive into our nebraska talk a little bit um uh one little not really you know relevant to our current college team but just a cool thing is that uh Rex Burkhead was signed on by the Patriots, uh, and obviously we wish him the best because he was a great player for us. Right, right, and well, and I and I tell you, I think that, I mean, if 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 I was going to recommend a team for him to go to, with the skill set that he has, and while he still has hopefully enough quickness and you know uh, speed and years left in him, I have a feeling that uh, New England will find a lot of ways to utilize Rex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also saw on uh, the Husker Max website that um, apparently Tommy put in some uh, pretty good numbers on, uh, on on the scouting day, right? He he did. He put some uh, really good numbers together, and and I think to his credit, I think he's already angling uh, to present himself as an athlete slash wide receiver uh, slash you know wildcat quarterback possibility. So that uh, he's not completely throwing in the towel on being a quarterback, but he recognizes that his NFL future is likely as a as a wide receiver of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that seems more likely to me because you know he, he doesn't have the throwing arm to you know be be really competitive at the college level. There's no way he can do that at the NFL level. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, but still, we hope definitely hope for good things for Tommy too. You know, he's definitely that's true. He's definitely a fighter. You know, we know that for sure. 
That's right. Exactly. And that's the thing is his competitive nature might work uh, really well. It's just that typically, you know, the skill set you need to be an NFL wide receiver in terms of running routes with precision, understanding timing, and frankly, being able to block uh, so that, you know, you don't leave somebody out hanging in to dry within the scheme of whatever offense you're in are all important skills he does not possess right now right so he would have to learn a lot somebody's going to have to uh, you know get with him and be very patient so i suspect he's still looking at a free agent contract situation and if he gets with the right team who's willing to say you know what we're going to give you some time because we see your 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 pure athletic skill and believe it's worth the effort Mm -hmm. for sure and then um on the actual college football front um uh, we've been seeing some stories about how our new defensive coordinator, Bob Diaco, is uh, moving around uh, positions on the defense, kind of shifting people from different positions, trying to find what he thinks they're the best right. for his new system. Right, absolutely. Well, the thing is, is that, um, you know, I guess to jump in on that, you know, um, there is a number of things with uh, that they're trying to get accomplished with this spring practice and obviously with a new defensive coordinator the first thing is to figure out how the puzzle pieces fit within the within uh, his new defensive scheme and so there's some good news bad news the good news is you've you've switched to a three four defensive scheme so all of a sudden you don't your your need for defensive linemen and the skill sets of those defensive linemen shifts quite a bit uh, but but all of a sudden instead of having four positions on the d line we only have three so, uh, uh, you know, we have the bodies that we've been recruiting for a four-person position uh, that all of a sudden becomes three. So now you've got a few more bodies to work with. Now, some of those fo- puzzle pieces are kind of, they don't fit anymore, right? Mm-hmm. But in other cases, you're able to consolidate and, and merge, and maybe a couple of players are encouraged to, to lose a little weight. A couple of guys are encouraged to bulk up, uh, you know, that sort of stuff, depending on the roles that we're, we're targeting them for. And similarly, uh, the opposite is then true at linebacker, where, you know, up until this year, we had a a, a 4-3 defense where you had three linebacker positions. Now, all of a sudden, you have four. And and the requirements of those linebacker positions are different than they used to be, right? Those outside linebackers have a very different role, are are, are required to do quite a bit of stuff. Um, And uh, and so, uh, you know, those fits aren't exactly perfect. So he's got a bunch of stuff he's got to do up front, right? Then in addition... Because of that 3-4 type of setup up front, what, what he's asking his cornerbacks and safeties to do also changes. And so he's been moving guys, even starters, guys that were expected to be starters, were starters last year, say at cornerback, he moved one of them to safety. Um, and even though we have quite a few safeties in the mix already within our roster, but he's trying to get uh, the, the very best players on the field, and he recognized that he had three guys that he thought were really outstanding within his quarterback group. And he wanted to figure out how he could get that third player on the field at the same time as the other two. Um, But that also speaks to some thinness. Um, Just like I just spoke about with linebackers, we're going to probably be a little thin at linebacker because we don't have enough of the right guys, right? Particularly on the outside, because those are the two roles that probably are the biggest change in this defense. And then additionally, you know, uh, I think we're going to be very uh, potentially very good at cornerback. We've got some great athletes there, um, but uh, we're probably going to be a little thin there. 
we're not going to quite have the depth that we'd like to have, right? Now, it looks like with all the changes, he's, he's prioritizing safety because he's putting a lot of guys back there at safety, and he wants to make sure he has the two best players he possibly can at safety because there's a bunch of people fighting uh, for a position there. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just a more, more general question. Uh, what percentage of, like, uh, Division One uh, college teams would you say run a 3-4 versus the 4? Well, oh, I know wow. there's multiple different ones, but I right. definitely feel like the 4-3 is more dominant, more popular. Well, it has been. Um, however, the 3-4 is gaining in popularity. Uh, the oftentimes the collegiate game tends to lag behind, but follow the NFL and, uh, and the NFL has, has kind of evolved from this same, um, you know, uh, thing. They went from five, two to four, three to three, four. And now the co- collegiate games doing the same thing. So there are more teams playing three, four now than, than probably there ever has been in the you know, among the premier teams in the, in the NCAA. Um, mm. But I would agree with you that 4-3 is probably still the more uh, common uh, defensive alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well, so, yeah, that'll be, like you say, uh, we were just talking earlier about uh, possible attendance numbers for the spring game. If the weather turns out, we could be seeing a pretty full stadium. Uh, right turn out to see this new defense and the new quarterbacks and all this kind of change that we have coming up this year yeah it's it's uh, i i think nationally people maybe don't recognize it as much there you know there's nebraska is uh, is typically among the top um uh 15 or 20 teams in the country every year in attendance and they were they were the ones i mean going back more than a decade uh, were the ones that really had established this idea of having huge crowds for the spring game and making it a real event. Uh, Nebraska was one of the leaders in, in making that happen. Okay, And um, uh, the other thing is, is that not only are they doing that, but Nebraska charges. A lot of the other schools who get these huge attendance numbers are not charging for attendance into the game. Uh, so they're not raising money. Uh, uh, now, uh, there is um, for Nebraska... I believe there are some charities that are involved, and so some of the money uh, that is, you know, collected from the price of admission for the spring game goes to some charities for Nebraska. But but people do have to pay to get in, mm-hmm. which uh, that's somewhat of a rarity among colleges for their spring games. Um, uh, but even with that being said, uh, it looks like Nebraska's already pushing 60,000 pre-sold tickets for the game. And so um, typically there's a pretty decent walk-up crowd to that uh, event. If the weather's nice, um, a lot of people will uh, choose to turn out. And I don't know, the Big Ten Network tends to be a little wishy-washy about how they're going to cover it. And and the other thing I would tell you is is that the two big boys of the Big Ten Conference who, who generally get preferential tr- treatment on the Big Ten Network, you know, that's a subject for another podcast, Alex, we ought to make note of that, uh, is um, Ohio State and Michigan also have their spring games the same day as us. Now, why we chose to have our spring game on the exact same day as those two, I'm not quite sure, because I think that was a mistake uh, on our part. But um, um, because now you're competing with those two teams and their potential recruits, okay, who they're going to be inviting a bunch of people to campus too, right? So now you're competing head-to-head with two of the premier teams in your conference, right, in your region, 
mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. I just think that's poor planning on our part. We need to figure out when theirs is and, and be off by a week, in my opinion, because we're the one asking players to travel a far greater distance on their own dime, by the way, to come see us at our spring game. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So it just, it, it's just a bad, it's a bad setup for us. And I think I think I would be critical. I am being critical of our athletic department and our staff there at Nebraska for not being a little bit more thoughtful about that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, it's one of those things you just have to be aware of, you know. With not that it's a specific issue to Nebraska, but just in these, you know, lower population states, you know, and th- those sorts of things. Right. You know, you got to be conscious I mean, about that. I, Absolutely. And in, in my in my recent years, Alex, I have I have come to arrive at the conclusion that for Nebraska to be relevant again in college football, we are going to have to have uh, some outstanding coaching because that's a that's an absolute prerequisite. But equally important to that is outstanding recruiting. And that means not only great recruiters in terms of staff members, but our our behind the scenes staff and how we organize ourselves and how we execute, you know, our, our various events for recruiting purposes, all are going to be super critical to whether or not we can build the kind of talent pool that will allow us to compete with the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn States, the Michigan States, the Wisconsin's of the world. We better start out recruiting all, uh, you know, or recruiting very competitively with those schools. And right now we're significantly behind you know, at least three of those schools, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. We're probably on par with Michigan State's recruiting and Wisconsin's recruiting. They just have better coaching, more consistent coaching. Right. And, and, that's, and that's why they consistently beat us. But, but, uh, but um, we can still see that change. You know, that can, that can move in the right direction. And I, I think that Coach Riley and his staff are actually doing a lot of, of really good things. It's just this is one example where – uh, they probably missed the boat just a little bit. Right. Um, well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, and I don't know what the situation with like OSU and Michigan is, but we, I know we've talked in the past about Alabama, how, you know, Nick Saban like hires an entire team to help him with his recruiting, you know? Um, and I know that some schools across the country have begun to, to adopt that method as well, you know, as recruiting has become Absolutely. more and more competitive. Um, and so it's like we've talked about in the past with the whole like death of the, the student, the caring for the student athlete in college football, you know, you can't, unfortunately you kind of have to, you know, adopt those similar methods or be left up behind in the dust, you know, on a competitive level. Right. Exactly. And, and so it's a combination both of, of what you do to, to entice uh, you know, future recruits and future players, as well as what you do to manage the, your current roster, and so that you're always maximizing your talent uh, that you have available to you on any given season. Um, a couple of things that, uh, uh, relative to uh, you know our our team and the spring practice that's currently going on, you know, I, I I described to you already some of the areas where I think we're going to just because of the change in scheme, we're going to see some things. You know, but uh, we had our first real scrimmage of the spring uh, just this past Saturday, so just yesterday. And uh, during that uh, scrimmage, a few things started to emerge. One is is that, as we might expect, it looks like maybe we're going to be okay 
uh, along that defensive line, that we have enough bodies and guys that are starting to pick up on what Coach uh, Diacono wants us to do, that the defensive tackles and defensive ends are starting to to you know emerge and be stable, right, and even show a little bit of depth. So that's great news for our defensive line. However, similarly, uh, I think there's some real question marks about outside linebacker and what's going to happen there. I think we're going to be pretty pr- pretty good or okay at, at inside linebacker, but outside linebacker, which is a position that has an awful lot on it, an outside linebacker effectively becomes kind of more of an edge rusher in, uh, in, in certain setups, certain uh, alignments within this 3-4 type of structure. But they also have to be athletic and quick enough to be able to um, you know, uh, cover uh, a slot receiver or a tight end or an H back coming out, running back coming out of the uh, backfield. So those guys have to do a lot of different things and they have a lot of responsibilities. And so, you know, figuring out and finding guys that can play that position, that's going to be one of the critical elements of what happens the rest of this spring. And of course, fall camp next, next fall. Uh, and, and then similarly, because of some of the changes in it, mixing and matching that coach is doing, on the back end with the corners and the safeties, I think, I think what he's doing is he's trying to give a bunch of different people a chance at safety with the idea that he wants to make sure he has his best players on the field. And then as far as corner, I think he feels pretty darn good about the, at least three guys, but he needs to develop that fourth guy, and he'd like to take one of those three that he loves, and, and he's trying him at, at safety so so we'll just have to see how that plays out but it sure looks like they got the pieces it's a matter of just putting all the puzzle together right on defense right now now my, go ahead well i was just gonna say my my other question for you was the update on the quarterback uh contest mm-hmm. i was just seeing on husker max that one of the <clears throat> commentators was saying that it seemed like tanner lee had the the edge <clears throat> yeah i think i think even coming into the fall or into the spring practice uh, Tanner Lee was was kind of the guy that was the most likely, if you will, to be uh, to emerge as the as the number one quarterback coming out of spring if he did if he did what he was supposed to do, and he's done nothing to dispel that. In fact, uh, uh, there has been just absolutely glowing descriptions from outsiders who've had the opportunity to watch practices. A number of people, including. I read uh, Eric Crouch's summary and Damon Benning's summary, a couple of ex-players, and of course Eric uh, is a quarterback and, and Heisman Trophy winner, uh, and his overall views of what he saw, and he is very impressed. I mean very impressed, like making um, statements that suggest you know, our quarterback position is in as good a shape as it's been in in uh, more than a decade. So um, that's great to hear. That's really great to hear that we really have three options that even the young freshman who's here early, you know, um, graduated at, at semester and, and came to Nebraska early, Gebbia, uh, and I might be destroying his, uh, <laughs> the pronunciation of his last name, but, but even he played really well and all of them just have really good, uh, um, you know, vision uh, for the field. They see things, they make the right decisions, they go to the check downs when they're supposed to, and everything is just far more efficient. There's far fewer just blow-up type plays where either the physical pass is not even close to where it's supposed to be or the decision-making is so poor that it's clearly an interception or a wrong decision. There's just, that's very, very different than it used to be. And 
um, so that's that's great news for the offense. Um, right. Well, uh, with with Tanner, um, obviously going off of what you've said and what uh, I've you know known about him in the past is that it definitely seems like you know hopefully we'll be taking a step up in the passing game um, compared right. to Tommy. But what about his running game? Because that's still going to be an important part of our team, obviously. Well, y- yes, and, and they haven't completely given up on that. But, uh, but I'm going to suggest to you that the quarterback is going to run the ball less than five times a game um, uh, in the future. Uh, the quarterback is not going to be a central figure in our running game going forward, uh, although you hope that they're athletic enough that if they need to tuck it, uh, in a broken down play situation, or maybe one or two called plays because they're seeing, you know, a, a defense that's kind of disrespecting the running ability of the quarterback. Those are the occasions when the quarterback's going to run it. Where you're not going to see the kind of or football running uh, from the quarterback position that we saw over the last eight years, nine, ten years actually. Uh, uh, you know, with uh, uh, Coach uh, Pelini and then uh, Coach Riley's early years with with um um tommy tommy yep so that that's all in the past i think uh what you're, you're going to see a lot more of the uh, zip motion uh you know uh, handoffs to the wide receivers i think some of those kinds of things are going to be the change of pace to the running game rather than the quarterback run game does that make sense yeah and because we've got three guys now patrick o'brien is looking really good as well, I don't mean not to mention him, but all three of those quarterbacks look to be capable of running this offense. Now, uh, Gebbia, from a physical standpoint, I think would be uh, it'll be great if the if if O'Brien and uh, Tanner Lee can stay healthy and be good enough, and we have this other transfer young man that's come in who's pretty good too. And I apologize, I don't even know his name, but he's a he's a kind of a preferred walk-on that's come in, and they're all doing pretty darn good. So. Uh, that will maybe allow us to redshirt Gebbia if, uh, if, uh, you know, if everybody stays healthy and that would be great because he needs to, he needs to a year in the weight room <laughs> right. is the bottom right. line. So it would be awesome. And, and, uh, you're going to see them just making a lot of decisions, a lot of passes, the tight ends are going to become more important. And it sounds like, uh, the tight ends had a really good day yesterday and are starting to emerge as not necessarily difference makers. I mean, um, there was somewhat of a lament uh, from yesterday's comments about the fact that if Seathan Carter w- were a junior last year instead of a senior and was going to be a senior this year, that we might have an All-American on our hands because these quarterbacks with Seathan Carter might have been a lethal combination. Now, the, the tight ends we have now appear to have decent hands, but they're not the whole package with the speed and the physicality that Seathan had. Interesting. So, so you know, it's just a timing thing. It's the way it goes. Uh, wide receiver-wise, it sounds like you know we're uh, we're doing okay. That we're not going to probably see a huge drop off in the performance of that first group, but we do not have the depth that we'd had last year. And recall, last year we needed every bit of that depth because we had so many injuries at wide receiver yeah. uh, through the course of the season. So we are still desperately in need of having some of these young guns emerge. Um, and some of these freshmen are probably going to have to come on campus and immediately, you know, get up to speed. And regretfully, um, uh, the young um, um, Kijon uh, um, Johnson, gosh darn it, I can't remember his name, um, yeah. Johnson Jr. is has been hurt and sick 
and and then he finally got on the field and he just got pads on a little bit ago then he pulled his hamstring yesterday so he's probably going to be you know sidelined for the rest of the spring uh, i would guess um uh, or they're going to be very cautious with him at at a minimum um so uh, he that's too bad for him because i think they needed guys like him maybe to emerge as guys that we could count on not to start to but to be part of our depth you know be part of that second group or even uh, uh, the beginnings of a third group. So we're going to be relying on some walk-ons in that wide receiver group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, losing, you know, I mean, Westerkamp was so great. So yeah, without losing him and, is going to be a you know step back, no matter what way you look at it. Right, right. Um, but we got some good talent, good young talent there, and it's just a matter of how quickly they can emerge. Running back uh, was kind of probably an area of uh, it was non-eventful. Uh, I think we have three guys that are good. None of them have emerged and really taken a stranglehold on the position, uh, which is probably a little disappointing. And, and in fact, none of them have, like, they're not all complete. You know what I mean? They all have things they do really well, but then they have some things that they're not so good at or not so consistent with. Mm-hmm. And so we, we really are, uh, taking a, are taking a bit of a hit at running back right now because we don't have necessarily – any big name freshman, you know, coming onto the campus in the fall, that's going to likely be a player that would come in and immediately, you know, have a big impact at the running back position. Um, so, um, you know, we need one of these three guys, if not two of them, to really get it together and become more the complete back than they are right now. So that's probably an area of concern is running back. And then the biggest area of concern on offense is offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, we have again, we have some young players. That, that still are in the process of learning and, and, and may emerge yet, but, but they haven't yet. And, uh, and we have some older players who, frankly, are overdue, and, and they have not uh, emerged, and they're kind of getting beat up by the defensive line. Now, part of that is a new defensive scheme. They're, they're much more of an attacking, aggressive, fired-up group, and um, they're just not matching the intensity. Well, the criticism from yesterday's scrimmage was, the O-line basically got their butts handed to them and there wasn't a fire for them to get it right, you know. So um, Coach Cavs got a challenge on his hands is what it sounds like. And that's going to ultimately dictate the direction that our program goes this year, I think. I, it sounds like we have some good options at, at quarterback. Uh, we've got some adequate running backs that are going to you know, be good at, at, in that role. Um, and we have uh, some pretty darn good wide receivers, especially the starting group. So we've got the potential to have a very effective offense if our offensive line steps up. Right. If they don't, we, we could we could be in for a rough offensive year. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, that was a consistent issue last year is, you know, yeah. Tommy would be having a pretty good game, but then he just couldn't, uh, you know, the offensive line just wouldn't protect him. You know, there'd be people in the backfield and he'd have to run, you know, and sometimes his, his he was so good at scrambling that, uh, you right. know, it would it would turn out all right, but now that these new quarterbacks probably won't be that good at scrambling as he was, uh, it's going to be even more important that the O line gets it together. That's right. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. And and so we have some returners, you know, that have to be better than they were last year, right? And and we had a, a weakness at the center position. We've got some guys who were younger players who who need to you know, make, uh, make more of that commitment and rise to the challenge. And then you need to have depth. You know you're going to need pretty much 
two lines, right? You're not you're not in good shape unless you have 10, 10 guys ready to go at the beginning of the season uh, because you're going to need them. And uh, right now, I, I, I suspect we don't even have five. So uh, there are there's a lot of work to be done on that offensive line. Now, um, now that doesn't mean it can't be done. And the, the raw material is is actually uh, there. You know, I mean, we we've got some guys that we think are going to be good linemen for us, but they're just not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, that's what practice is for, right? Exactly. Um, all right. So now we're going to transition into the more global college football. Uh, in general section of the podcast uh, okay. I know you had some things to say about um, some uh, rules that are currently being discussed within like the yes. NCAA yeah you know um, I mean we've talked at some length about that you know uh, uh, about issues related to the overall uh, um, game and obviously there are rules uh, reviews every year of the actual rules for the game itself uh, the rules committee right but then there's also efforts that and, and committees that are created by the NCA and 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 by the commi- uh, the commissioners the, the various uh, conference commissioners to study uh, other things like recruiting and the rules that surround recruiting and there has been a call by the uh, uh, presidents of the institutions that there be a thorough review of the recruiting process because the, you know, the presidents of the institutions are, are not happy with what uh, has transpired over say the last, you know, five, 10 years in, in recruiting. And they don't feel like it's been moving in a positive direction. So there's kind of a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a requirement that's been laid down by the presidents to say, Hey, you guys have got to figure this out. Okay. And so, um, there was a proposal that, that they spent more than a year, I think, putting together. And interestingly, um, Sean Eichhorst, our athletic director, was on that committee. And, uh, mm. and that group emerged with a, a proposal last year in, in the latter part of the year. I believe it was around November. I think it might have came out, uh, you know, like rumor of it or whatever in October, but it was officially kind of unveiled in November. Um, and then um, and that original proposal uh, you know, was pitching two uh, additional signing dates, earlier signing dates for the recruiting process, and uh, among a number of other things. Another uh, key item that it was proposing was uh, that with those earlier signing dates, there would also be the ability to have official visits occur earlier in the year. And then thirdly, you know, there's a great deal of attention that's been focused on the emergence of the satellite camps. And so they needed, they felt they needed to get their hands around that, both to protect the student athlete, to prospect, uh, or to protect the the, cult, the high school uh, sports uh, aspect of things, and then also to protect the coaches from themselves. And mm-hmm. so they, the proposals, you know, kind of tried to very much limit the the number of those satellites and where they could occur and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then uh, as far as the, the visit time frames, if you're going to have earlier uh, signing periods, then you need to have the ability to get visits happening earlier that are official visits, ones that can be paid for by the institution who's pursuing the student athlete. Right. Um, okay. So all of those things were in the proposal that was reviewed. Uh, the, for the most part, it was almost unanimous that college coaches did not want the June, the early, early signing period. And um, and there are a number of reasons, you know, that they cited for why that was not a good idea. 
the logic of why they wanted to do it was for players and, and for the student athlete who might want to s- sign and get it over with and be able to concentrate on their senior season. However, even the high school coaches fear that idea for the likelihood or pro- possibility that players would then simply skip their senior year. If you have a signed, sealed, and delivered um, scholarship to, you know, Ohio State University, and you're you're from you know a suburb of Columbus, why would you play? Why would you risk injury and ruining your career when you already got the scholarship in the bag? It, it would be far wiser for you to you know work out with the local you know um, you know jock or athlete who can help you develop your skills um, for the for the position you're going to play in college and forget the high school. So that, those were reasons why that June date was opposed. Right. And, and so it's already been kind of removed from the proposal. Uh, the, the committee got back together in January and they tweaked some things. Uh, they also changed the timing of the, uh, of the early visits. Now, this is super huge, super critical for the University of Nebraska and other small population universities. Right. So this is what would be interesting for our listeners is that um, uh, one of the biggest challenges that schools like uh, Nebraska have had over the last really 20 years or so, ever since uh, the the explosion of television uh, uh, exposure has happened, uh, since the you know late 80s, early 90s, um, where that kind of got equalized, then population density has become far more important to uh, success in recruiting, because now everybody's on TV. So uh, having some advantages that would drive people to some of these traditional programs uh, is, is now limited to their access to those athletes. And oftentimes, um, in recent years, for example, a good third and sometimes even more than a third of the top 300 players. So 100 of the top 300 players have already committed to institutions before the, uh, the um, college school year begins in, say, mid-August. Right. A full third. Well, those players could not and cannot, as of right now, cannot have an official visit to a school like the University of Nebraska uh, prior to that date. So they have already gone through the recruiting process and made their decision and are, are connected with another school before Nebraska could even offer them the opportunity to have a paid visit to Nebraska. Well, that that that's true. Although the we both know how many times you know a Nebraska player has has committed to us verbally, you know, but then changes their mind before signing day. You oh, know, so absolutely. Certainly, there's it's, a lot of uh, poaching that can still occur in that time. There is still a, a, a ton of recruiting that can go on, but the point is, is that you are behind the eight ball, right? So the objective here would be to give. Uh, schools the opportunity to have an official visit uh, that um, and then the current proposal is from April basically April 1st until sometime in late June would be a window where you could have official visits you know what that would allow think about what our current situation is we're going to have a football game in two weeks a spring game in which Nebraska has developed a great setup and tradition it is like a college game day atmosphere around that stadium in mid-April Okay, not every school can achieve that. Right now, Nebraska can. So this would be huge for Nebraska to be able to officially invite and get official visits going on during their spring game. I see. And that could happen as early as next year, meaning in 2018. Right. Although, and I I get the April to June 
uh, time frame for that reason for the spring games. Um, yep. But we we were talking a little bit about this on the last podcast we did a month ago um, about you know the the convenience for students to be able to like go during the summer months you know when they're off school and things of that nature. But uh, I mean our school you know our high school like doesn't get off until early June regardless. So it's sounding like this would if it went from April to the end of June, then it would just barely cover the beginning of the summer break for most kids. Correct. But a lot of times the, um, you know, a, a lot of times the, the camps and, and if they're going to have some of these limited satellite camps, typically a lot of those occur in May and June. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it would all tie into being able to get them on campus, maybe in association with that, come for a camp, do your official visit, bring your parents with you, the whole deal. So it just, it just makes a lot of sense in terms of the, the overall calendar. And then it shuts down for July uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it, it kind of forces a, a, a period of, of less contact in July so that the kids can have their final summer um, and, uh, and, and maybe get a job and that sort of stuff. But also it, it kind of protects the coaches from themselves and allows them to have – a little bit more of a downtime period for at least a month because you know that as soon as you know August hits and they are uh, back into the grind of the season, you know they're working crazy hours again, right? Mm-hmm. So some of it is to try to give some life balance to the to the to the coaches by protecting them from themselves, right? Um, and so those are the reasons why they have established some of those time frames, right? And um, also, but it, it would just be huge though, is the point. For Nebraska. That's yes. the point I'm trying to make. Yes. No. It definitely would be. It's something we've been talking about for several years, just between right. you and I. Um, on the last podcast, we were talking about that as well as the change to the satellite camps, making it so that they could only be at, like, was it only at, it was only at colleges and there would be a limit of, like, how many you could do and things of that Right. Nature. There was only, it was, instead of over 30 days, it was over a period of 10 days. And, um, and yes, they have to be at college institutions or facilities used by college institutions, um, you know, for their standard practice or, or, or performance facilities so that it would protect, uh, from what was starting to happen where, where you were going on this barnstorming tour and hitting all the major high schools, you know, in the, in the key recruiting regions. And they were getting bombarded with, you know, trying to coordinate all these satellite camps for all these different universities. So it, it just kind of takes all that away from the high schools and puts them back into the colleges and says, you're going to, you're going to have to do this with a college. And so, um, it just, it just kind of helps rein it in a little bit right. and keeps, keeps it from being overwhelming. Right. My question though, is that, uh, when we were talking about it last time on the last podcast, it sounded like that was already legit like it was done that was the new rule but you're saying that this proposal is still being talked about and hasn't been approved yet is that right that is correct okay so yep. so currently the set the satellite camps is still the old rules so harbaugh can go on his crazy spree wherever he wants without these um, restrictions you know i you know th- those particular rules have changed so much i don't know what the current rules are <laughs> oh, okay um, so I don't know that for a fact, but I know that this particular proposal is basically there's a there was a committee process that had to happen. They're going to meet again in April, 
and then there's a there's some kind of an NCAA meeting that's going to occur, I believe, in um, in early, in early summer, either late May or June, in which you know some of the presidents are going to be there, and all the commissioners are going to be together, and they're going to they're going to kind of boom, 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 and they're either going to get this through or they're not, you know. Uh, uh, but I suspect that uh, even if it does happen a lot of these rules may not be in place until the following year. You right. know what I mean? It's not going to affect this year. But right, right. I could be wrong. They may, right. they may put it faster than yeah. that. Yeah, and I agree with what you were saying about the coach's perspective earlier on the signing days, you know, the one in June, you know, in the summer. That definitely seems like a bad idea, whereas doing one in December – as you were saying, that justifies, you know, doing the earlier official visits. And that's only, you know, like two months ahead of where it currently is. So players still have to go through their entire senior season. Uh, Right. So I feel like that's a more reasonable. The the advantage of of that December timeframe is that that is actually already on the recruiting calendar right now. It's the, it's the signing day or signing period that's associated exclusively with junior college athletes, right? Guys that are graduating um, at semester and uh, are uh, junior college players. They can sign their letters of intent in this December, third week of December type of time frame. Okay. What it allows then is if, a, if an athlete has already made their decision, they know where they want to go, they can shut their recruiting down and this crazy last minute intensity that happens in February uh, can be uh, ending. And it kind of forces both the school and the athlete to make a commitment. And so then, you know, the athlete and the school know where they stand with each other, right? So if you make that commitment, get that done, now that school knows you're in the bag. Okay, we no longer have to uh, devote resources and time visiting you. So, you know, if you look at it by the third week of December, a lot of schools have most of their recruiting done, right? They may have 20 of their 25 recruits already committed. Well, with an early December timeframe, they could get those 20 recruits signed. And all the kids who are uh, early entries like that are, that are going to uh, uh, graduate at semester, they could be signed. So you, you, you got all that behind you. Now you can take the remainder of that you know, final month and a half and focus on those final you know, seven or eight athletes that you've targeted in the hopes that you're going to get five of those seven. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, well, so it allows them to really focus their, their recruiting on those, on those uh, kids who have not yet decided. Now, what, what, what may happen is the kids who love the attention, they're going to want to string it out, right? So they're not going to want to make a verbal commitment early. It will actually cause more kids to wait on their decision, I believe having an early signing period. It's actually going to cause more kids to hold off on verbal commitment. Because if you've verbally committed to somebody, then you're going to be kind of pressed to shit or get off the pot in that third week of December, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if, if you want to play the game till February, then you're, you're not going to want to have that verbal commitment. So it'll, it'll, it'll force the reservation game that's currently going on to be diminished, right. where kids commit to a, a, the, the best school that's offered them early and ride that, that as their reservation. And then when a, quote, quote, better school comes along, they jump shimp at the last minute. Well, now a, a, a school like Nebraska, if somebody committed to them early in this reservation kind of situation where they were still had their eyes out for, 
you know, the home state school or the other, uh, some other premier schools that they might still have some interest in there, just not telling anybody. Well, guess what? Now the third week in December comes. Now we know now we, and we have now a, a month and a half to, to, um, you know, recover from this kid's, uh, lack of commitment. You see what I'm saying? Cause now if he doesn't commit, we know he's not really ours. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, so I, it, it, I was just thinking ahead. about that, like in terms of how that's going to change the dynamics. Uh, yeah. You were talking about the craziness of February. That just means just changing that around means that a, no, a lot of that craziness is just going to be shifted to that December signing day. Cor- correct. Uh, Absolutely. And, Absolutely true. And that then, yeah, if if there's a player that you thought, you know, that you had a pretty good, maybe they haven't verbally committed yet, but you thought you know, you, you were their number one choice or whatever, and they don't uh, make a decision in that December time frame, uh, then that might, I'm just, I'm, I'm imagining how that might affect the recruiters. Like, well, you might be a little bit of a doubting Thomas over there, so maybe I'm not going to focus as much on you and go to this other kid who is, I think, is more, you know, uh, it'll just be interesting yep. to see how that plays with the, the, the mental dynamics of it. Absolutely. It, it changes the whole uh, methodology and priority. And, you know, everybody's got a board and this is our, this is our favorite player at this position. This is our second favorite player, our third favorite player, all that stuff would, that whole dynamic would change and, and, and it, it would accelerate the process, which isn't necessarily a good thing in my opinion. But the fact is it's already right. accelerated so much that they got to do something. Right. And what they, what they don't want is what, what the current process has, which has all these kids verbally committing to basically make their reservation. And then at the end of the moment, they take secret last minute, you know, visits to USC and, and Alabama. So Alabama can now play this game where they can be uh, uh, playing slow playing their second and third choices um, for the entire recruiting process. And then they wait until the last couple of weeks. And if they have, uh, if if their first choices have have left and gone somewhere else, then they can jump on something else, and then a domino effect happens, and all of a sudden, the, you know, those second tier universities, if you will, start, um, um, you know, bouncing, yeah, uh, bouncing down the, the 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 dominoes. Yeah, the process you just described there was reminding me of like an eBay auction where you you know wait yeah. for the last second to put in your bid. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and and compared to the proposed like June signing day, I feel like this December one, like you say, it will accelerate the process, but I don't feel like it will make uh, coaches go after kids like that much earlier than they already are because they already are going after Correct. talking to kids in like their beginning of their junior year and sophomore right. year and stuff like that. Moving it ahead right. two months isn't going to do that much to that versus right. if you had pushed it all the way up to s- summer, then that definitely would push more right. people into talking to sophomores i feel like right I, I i would suggest to you that the new signing period will end up being december and only a few kids will sign in february i, I would i would speculate that that you know 80 percent of most recruiting classes will be in the bag signed sealed and delivered on that december date if that is established yeah and that and that just a few uh, positions will, will be left open for the, a lot of the schools. And then the ones that still are struggling, let's say a, a team that's, that's kind of taken that second level of, of, of recruit, right? Because the, they're not one of the premier programs. They're going to have a much clearer understanding of how many scholarships those other schools still have left 
and which kids they can go after. And it helps enhance their position to recruit some of these kids too. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's still some premier kids out there, those kids are going to get such a concentration of recruiting attention, it's not even funny. I mean, just imagine that. Now all of a sudden, Urban Meyer can focus all of his attention on five players because he's only got three spots left. So mm-hmm. he's, he's going to go after five or six players that are the, the best choices he, he's still in on, and he's going to devote enormous effort and, and energy to those kids. Right. You so follow like, me? Yeah. Well, like you were saying earlier, you know, for if if some top players decide that they, like you said, they like the attention, they want to keep playing the game, then after that December date, in those oh. two months, it's going to be even more intense and even more focused on those individuals. Right. And and I think most kids are tired of the process by then, and they won't want to do that. I think most kids are going to be like, okay, I, I, I this is it. This is my time. I'm going to do this and be done with it. And then I can I can you know, have Christmas with my family and I already know where I'm going. It's all done and I'm relaxed. Right. Yep. Um, I mean that that's way, way better. Yeah. Um, so it'll be just to see that if it goes through the dynamics that play out as a, as a result of that change, but I think overall it's definitely a a positive shift. Well, but again, I think the only way that this is a good thing is if it also includes moving that, uh, official visit time frame because uh, uh, and I know we're running a little long here but understand that if you have official visits uh, again there's two dynamics to that it's going to help a school like in a, from a small population state like Nebraska but it's also going to force decisions upon schools that are in major uh, uh, athlete concentrated areas like uh, Ohio State like Alabama like University of Florida because now they're going to have to be making some decisions about okay who are my really 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 top priorities and those kids they may very well want to utilize some of their official visits on those top kids right now they've got to show their hand now early right in that april time frame of their junior year because they do not want to necessarily let a, a, a school like nebraska get their claws into a kid deep because they have this incredible you know, experience at, at the spring game and out in Lincoln, you know, in April and everybody give them all this love and mom and dad fall in love with the school and everything like that. And now all of a sudden this guy that was in their backyard that they, they were sure they were going to get now they're in a fight to get them. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they will then be forced to say, you know what, we're going to use our official visits so we can wine and dine them. We can do all the formal stuff. We can do the whole pitch to these guys as a, as a formal official visit. Right. Well, and like you were saying earlier uh, about the the bigger schools maybe not being as hot on this whole earlier official visits thing, because like you say, it plays more to the advantage of the smaller population schools like Nebraska. But well, but if the right. if the December if the, if people agree on the December signing day thing, what do you think the chances are that the bigger schools and the presidents of those bigger schools could mount a successful argument against it you know i think that i think it's pretty good my my, in fact i I, if i if you were asking me to predict i'm going to predict for you right now you're going to get the december signing date you're not going to get the movement of the uh official visit Hmm. that's what i think is going to happen i think i think those schools uh who who want it to stay the way it is because it's strongly to their advantage to do so are going to vote in that way because they're just as a, I mean, it's not. A, they don't care that it's not fair. They they don't care that 
that that you know they have access to these athletes because they're within a hundred mile radius of their town and and for us we have to go 800 or a thousand miles to get those same kids to travel to us uh they don't care that 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 that's a problem for us right you know well yeah obviously yeah like you say it's to their advantage with the current system i just hope that the with the december signing day that would make a logical reason for why earlier officials maybe not april but but to make it earlier than you know august or september whatever it is now um, right would would seem like i would hope that that thought would prevail in that meeting me too me too and i think if it if it's ultimately a decision that's made by administrators and presidents then we have a decent chance if they're going to be strongly influenced by athletic directors and coaches we don't have a prayer of that going through so, um, you know, that's where I'm hoping the, 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 you know, wiser heads prevail in this case to recognize that there needs to be an effort to have fairness and balance in the competitive balance of the, of the, of the, of the sport. Right. So we'll see. All right. Now you, you had mentioned you had one other thing. Do you want to go into that or save it for next time? Uh, no, well, we can save it for next time. Yep. Yep. So, um, no, it's good. It's good. So, um, we, this has been an uh, interesting uh, podcast. We've covered a lot of ground. I hope people found it interesting. Uh, and um, uh, we sure would love it if folks would like us on uh, iTunes or on uh, Podomatic. And I'll let you go through all the different <laughs> ways that we can do that. One of the uh, kind of teaser things we can do is uh, we have secured uh, the website collegefootballthrowdown.com. And, and so we're hoping to move in the direction of uh, – establishing a website here very soon oh there we go well yes we uh you know uh, the next podcast we do like we said we're planning on doing one later in april after the spring games so we'll talk about that plus any news from other spring games from the major schools across the country and we'll probably go more into this uh general talk about the ncaa rules and stuff because clearly we have a lot to say on that issue uh, so if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find us, as he said, on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to us there, get, leave us a rating or review. We always like to hear from our fans. And you can also find us at uh, collegefootballthrowdown or footballthrowdown.podomatic.com is our main website. Okay, say that one more time. It's footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. Okay. Yes. Uh, I screwed up by adding the college on there, but we made yeah. it shorter than that. Yes. <laughs> I got go. it. All right. Well, glad you got it. <laughs> that was my main yes. concern. <laughs> yes. All right. Good. Well, uh, thank you for listening out there. And uh, we will be back for episode 42 of College Football Throwdown. So until then, go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs> <laughs>